0: Well, this is already off to a better start, because in the first service, I was up here in my bathing suit, because I locked my clothes in a closet back there. So talk about preying on every human insecurity all at the same time, walking up on stage, hey, how's it going? <laughs> just putting out the vibe, you know? Um, so we're off to a better start, and, and we, just, we love the baptism stuff, and uh, some of it is, like, I was a little bit absent-minded this morning because we've got a lot going on. Uh, if you were, as you walked in today, if you look to your right, you can see some things going on back in our kids' area. And just to give you a quick update, and you'll hear more about this in the in the weeks and months to come, um, now that, we, since we own the building, we purchased it back in May, we're just opening up. There's not, like, to use the word renovation as a bit of an... Uh, Extreme. We're really kind of opening up some areas that were offices and storage and uh, opening up some extra kids' space. So all the kids will move to that side of the building, uh, which means that some of our lobby stuff that's in this room can go out to that big room just inside the main entrance and just kind of start opening things up a little bit. Uh, And then we can add seating in this room as we need to. So excited about some of that stuff that's going on. And um, today, a little bit of a shorter talk, a little bit of a shorter sermon. Partly because baptisms take time, but partly because baptisms preach, right? And so there's only so much I need to get up here and say, uh, whether it's through the things that they say or just the the visual representation of what they've chosen to do. That says an awful lot about the simplicity of the gospel. And so in some ways, we want to kind of leave it at that. But um, today, just we're wrapping up a series called First Family. And the experience of the individual this morning is really indicative of the entire First Family's journey that we've been on, where uh, you you think about one one part of the first family back in Genesis uh, was literally responsible for the fall of humanity. Adam, Adam and Eve, thank you very much for that problem. Uh, Another part of the first family witnessed the physical destruction of the human race, Noah and his family with the flood, like seeing everyone wiped out. Another part of the first family, he put his son on an altar to sacrifice him. So there's a lot of messed up stuff going on in the first family, and today is no different. Um, And really the point of this series has been to look back at the foundation of our faith, Right, Because the, the, experience of the uh, experiences of those in the first family, whether you're talking about Adam and Eve or Abraham and Sarah or, or Isaac and Rebecca, their experiences are our experiences. The things that they went through, even some of their failures, are things that we go through and experience, and we see the falling away of humanity the, the, when left to ourselves— Our natural response is to pull further and further and further away from God. And that was the track record of the human race until God himself entered that genealogy in the work of Jesus Christ and presented an opportunity for all of that to be fixed. And so that's kind of where we've been. And uh, really, when it comes to that first family, hopefully you've read ahead a little bit. We've kind of been throwing out some homework assignments over the course of this series. Um, because today, there's, there's quite a bit between where we were last week with Isaac and Rebecca and where we're at today uh, with a couple of their kids. Um, And and so hopefully, whether it's Genesis, I hope that you've been inspired to go back and revisit some of these things, maybe visit them for the first time, um, to read it, to absorb it, um, to ponder it, maybe even to be frustrated or annoyed by it, to be confused by it, because all of that's a part of it. Because what Scripture does is it gives us an important foundation for who we're supposed to be in Christ, right? Now, when it comes to being saved, uh, accepting Christ into your life, being born again, I don't necessarily think you need Genesis to get saved, right? So if you grew up in the middle of nowhere with no foundation of spiritual things, someone could drop the gospel of John in your lap and you could get it, right? Or, or they could throw Romans at you and you would get it. But Genesis and other parts of the Old Testament, what they do is they allow us to experience God and experience faith in all of its fullness, because God reveals so much of himself. So much a part of who he is is revealed through the stories of these people that we find in the first family. Um, and so hopefully you've enjoyed it. And honestly, if uh, the second week, I believe, we hit creation a little bit. And so if, if Genesis and, and some of the creation stuff really piqued your interest, you, you should know. Milan Baptist Church, right in town, does a, a two-day creation conference. I believe this year it's March 7 and 8, uh, if I remember correctly. So feel free to check that out. They do a great job of laying out uh, a really good perspective on those types of things. Uh, but today, uh, kind of some quick context, if you haven't been with us, we hit Adam and Eve, and then there was about seven or eight, eight generations from them, and we hit Noah and his family, and then another eight or nine generations, we hit Abraham and Sarah and some of their uh, experiences. And then last week, we talked about Isaac and Rebekah. Now, since then, Isaac and Rebekah had twin boys, Esau and Jacob, one of them very much a hunter, one of them very much a homebody. But over the course of time, as they grow up, Esau sells his birthright for a bowl of soup. And then ultimately, Jacob steals the blessing of the firstborn, which was a really big deal for that culture. And Esau is understandably pretty upset. And so Jacob has to run for his life. And he finds himself back in the homeland of his mother, Rebekah, um, hanging out with Rebekah's brother, Laban. And so we've got Jacob and Uncle Laban. And that's kind of where we pick it up today uh, in Genesis chapter 29. And there's going to be some weird stuff in here. So prepare yourself. We're going to uh, read quite a bit of, quite a bit of verses. And uh, we'll kind of stop as we need to. So, Genesis chapter 29, starting in verse 1. Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, "'My brothers, where are you from?' "'From Haran,' they replied, and he knew that was where his mother was from. "'He said to them, "'Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson?' "'Yes, we know him,' they answered. "'Is he well?' "'Yes, he is,' they said, "'and here comes his daughter Rachel with the sheep. "'Look,' he said, "'the sun is still high. "'It's not time for the flocks to be gathered. "'Water the sheep and take them back to pasture.' "'We can't,' he replied, "'until all the flocks are gathered "'and the stone has been rolled away "'from the mouth of the well. "'Then we will water the sheep.' While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. Now, that wasn't their first interaction, right? He didn't just walk up and start making out with her. This was like a friendly greeting of a kiss, okay? Just chill out. Uh, It'll get weird, but not yet. Verse 12, he had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah, so she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him, again, not a make-out thing, okay, just, just say it hi, and brought him to his home, and there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. We'll talk about that in a second. But Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. Here's your Valentine's verse. But they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Isn't that sweet, you guys? It's super nice. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. Now up to this point, we're still fine. We haven't lost cabin pressure yet. Everything's rolling around. Now, now, there's some different things culturally that are unusual to us, but it, it was common for a guy like Jacob to return to his homeland. We saw it with Abraham and his son Isaac where he sent the servant, servant back to his home to get a, a wife for her. That, that's all normal. Um, there's a dowry for the bride. Like that's offensive to us, but certainly very normal in their time and culture. And then you get to the part where Leah has weak eyes, right? Like, what's that talking about? It may have been talking about, uh, it may be implying that she was kind of average looking compared to her sister who was maybe better looking, Um, but it it may not have necessarily been that insulting. So a couple different options. One, um, it's possible that she just had, that maybe she was dressed in very conservative Middle Eastern dress where only her eyes were showing for whatever reason. And so just an observation that she had because uh, it says weak eyes, that could also be interpreted as young or tender eyes or, or pretty eyes, right? Um, it could also refer to, they would use that phrase often to talk about um, the eyes as like, a you know, we say the eyes are the window to the soul. For them, it was kind of a window into uh, your intellect and your intelligence. So it may just be saying, Leah wasn't all that bright. Right, And so uh, I'm not sure exactly what it's talking about, but it doesn't necessarily mean Leah was ugly and Rachel was hot. Right, That's not exactly what it's going to be saying. So weird stuff, cultural stuff, stuff that's hard for us to relate to, but at this point, we're okay. But if you're a fan of the Joker, not the weird one from this past year, but the one from the cool Batman movies a few years ago, there's a point where he goes, and here we go. <laughs> that's what happens right here verse 22. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Now, if you're a little bit older, you remember Adam Sandler and the Wedding Singer. And there's a place in that movie where he's given some information and says, that is good information that would have been useful yesterday. (laughs) 24 hours ago, you can tell me I've got to marry the older daughter. Not today, right? And so this is just, it's just really weird. It's not our custom to give the younger daughter first. Finish this daughter's bridal week, and then we'll give you the younger one also. Like, it's just no big deal, right? In return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. This is a story full of what? Wait, what? It's full of that kind of stuff. And so I have questions. You have questions. I have questions. The questions I'm asking are, where is Rachel while all this is going on? It's her wedding day. I'm assuming she knew, and yet she wasn't a part of it. So what, what is Rachel doing while all of this is going on? I'm wondering, was Leah in on it? And whether she was or not, what's she thinking throughout this whole thing? And if you're Jacob, how do you not know? Right? Wedding night, how, how do you not know until the next morning? What's going on? Now, some possibilities. They don't necessarily satisfy my curiosity, but there's some possibilities for what's going on here. First of all, conservative Middle Eastern attire, right? There, there's a veil. Potentially only the eyes are visible for this wedding ceremony. And there's no electricity, right? You're not in a well-lit banquet hall. There's no, it's not like this well-lit room where you can see who everybody is. So potentially there's some room for deception there. Um, it's possible that they really didn't know each other that well right? Uh, uh, Jacob and, and Rachel didn't necessarily date in the way that we date now. And so for these seven years of working, it wasn't like, oh, I'll meet you for lunch and I'll see you this weekend. It may not have been that intimate. And so there, it, there may have been a lack of familiarity that could have created uh, this issue. Um, it's possible that both girls were in on it. It's possible that they were both fooled and manipulated too. Maybe this was all a Laban thing. Um, there are some who believe that Rachel and Leah were twins, just like Jacob and Esau were. And so there may have been enough of a resemblance there between the two that he could have easily been fooled if there's a veil, if it's dark, um, all those types of things. Um, And it's very possible, and in fact very likely, that Jacob was very, very drunk. Okay, The Hebrew word for feast can also be interpreted as drink. And so when it says a feast, basically you're talking about a kegger. They got together for a wedding (laughs) drinking party. And so by the end of this night, probably an extended party, uh, Jacob's gone, right? And so he gets to the end of the night and Laban throws someone at him and he wakes up the next morning surprised. Now, whatever questions you have, whatever the possible explanations are, it doesn't eliminate the fact that the basics of this story, it's super messed up. Right? So if you're walking into church for the first time, you're like, who are these Christians and what are these stories? It's messed up to us too. Okay? So so it's not just you. It's super messed up. And so as we continue on, uh, it doesn't get a whole lot better. Verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, It's because the Lord has seen my misery, and surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me, because I've borne him three sons. So she named him Levi. Don't you just want to sit down with Leah and have a conversation, right? Like explain the world to this young lady? She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, Give me children or I'll die. Okay. Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God? Who has kept you from having children? Then she said, Here's Bilhah, my servant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me, and I too can build a family through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife. Jacob slept with her, and she became pregnant and bore him a son. Then Rachel said, God has vindicated me. He listened to my plea and has given me a son. Because of this, she named him Dan. Dan. Rachel's servant conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, I've had a great struggle with my sister, and I have won. So she named him Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had stopped having children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Leah's servant bore Jacob a son. Then Leah said, what good fortune. So she named him Gad. Leah's servant bore Jacob a second son. Now, here's the thing. I got to stop. You search through the Old Testament, you're like, I can't. why would God allow uh, polygamy in the Old Testament? Why didn't he just come around and say... Now, sometimes you got to say it. Sometimes you just look at the, the consequences of people's decisions and say, clearly God didn't intend for all of this junk to happen. Uh, okay, here where are we at? What good fortune. So, uh, how happy I am, the women will call me happy. So she named him Asher. Verse 14 of chapter 30. During wheat harvest, Reuben, that's the oldest... He went out into the fields and found some mandrake plants, which he brought to his mother, Leah. Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, wasn't it enough that you took away my husband? Will you take my son's mandrakes too? See, I feel like mandrakes isn't really a reason to take it there. And so I got to believe this was kind of a common thing. Like, oh, it's a little chilly tonight. You know what's cold? Stealing my husband. I feel like this was kind of a constant thing for these two. There's some issues here. By the way, some of you are Harry Potter fans and you're just blown away that mandrakes are a real thing. You're like, I thought that was just from the books. And if you don't care about Harry Potter, then sorry, who cares? Very well, Rachel said, he can sleep with you tonight in return for your son's mandrakes. So when Jacob came in from the field that evening, Leah went out to meet him. You must sleep with me, she said. I've hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he slept with her that night. God listened to Leah, and she became pregnant and bore Jacob a fifth son. Then Leah said, God has rewarded me for giving my servant to my husband. So she named him Issachar. Leah conceived again and bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has presented me with a precious gift. This time my husband will treat me with honor because I've borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Sometime later, she gave birth to a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and enabled her to conceive, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace, and you'll recognize this one. She named him Joseph and said, may the Lord add to me another son. So this this story is full of like, wait, what type of moments. You've got Leah showing up instead of Rachel. You've got Jacob, like how did he not know Laban could have given him some valuable information 24 hours earlier. Then they're married, and Jacob is certainly favoring Rachel over Leah. Uh, that he's having kids with both of their servants. Leah is accusing Rachel of stealing her husband. It's like, wait, no, I don't. I don't know. How, I don't think that's how it worked. And then they're trading fruit for a night with the husband, and then they think they're being rewarded for all of these decisions that they're making. So it's honestly, it is a disastrous, even pathetic beginning. To this nice little family they've got going on. It's really a disastrous continuation of a pretty crazy messed up first family that we've been talking about this entire series. But in the midst of this chaos, if you were to go a couple chapters ahead, you'd see in Genesis 37 that this Joseph who was born is the same Joseph from the coat of many colors and the dreams that he had and then ending up in Egypt. And so what we find out is that that family, the family that's famous from uh, Egypt and Exodus and all those things, that family is this family, right? And if we go to Genesis 35, Genesis thirty-five twenty-three, it says Jacob had 12 sons. The sons of Leah, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun. The sons of, Je- of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Rachel's servants were Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Leah's servant were Gad and Asher. These were the sons... Of Jacob, and if you know about the tribes, tribes of Israel, you'll realize that these sons are the same as those twelve tribes of Israel. And so, this family, this mess, this chaos, this pathetic excuse for a family, leads to Joseph, who ends up in Egypt. It leads to the Israelites being enslaved there. It leads to Moses and the Exodus story and the pursuit of the promised land and the new nation that's carried. It it carries through the Old Testament. It carries through Ruth and David and Solomon and the prophets and kings. It carries through Jonah and Daniel and Esther all the way into the New Testament when Jesus enters this very same family genealogy. This family is the nation through which the glory and the plan and the love and the salvation of God are revealed. And so working through a pathetic, messed up family, out of a disastrous beginning, God writes a beautiful salvation story. And initially it's a story written for us so that we can see who he is, and what he's about, and what he offers us in his son Jesus, but then ultimately, once we've stepped into that family, it becomes a story that's written through us for the rest of the world to see. And that's why baptisms are so amazing, right? That's, that's, that's part of the excitement is people saying, this was a story for me, and now it's a story that I'm supposed to tell and pass on to someone else. It's a story that's supposed to transform not only me, but my entire family tree, and any of those who want to hear it. The band's going to come and lead us in one more song before we close today. But when you think about this messed up family and the things that they experienced and some of the ridiculous decisions that they made, I think if we're honest, we're all a little bit messed up, right? You've got some of those family stories where if somebody were to hear about it, you'd be like, wait, he did what? Wait, she said what? Oh, she said that? Oh, man. Like you got stories where like, man, we are, we're just as screwed up. You got some crazy things going on because their stories are our stories. Their life moments are ours and they're full of those moments. But your story of brokenness and your stories of loss and bad decisions and your stories that have a lot of question marks can become a beautiful God story, a story of healing and blessing and obedience and salvation. The story of the first family was a story of what? Until God entered the genealogy and turned it into a salvation story. And so if there's hope for that family, there's hope for you. And there's hope for your family. and There's hope for your entire family tree because of what God can do in your life. We're gonna sing this last song and it's called Glory to Glory, but the basic idea is certainly we, we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ and he transforms our hearts But it doesn't just stop there, right? It's a journey of of discovering more about him and learning about him and giving more and more of ourselves to him. And he takes us from glory to glory, from step one to step step two, from A to B to C. It's a journey. It's an experience, just like this first family. They didn't have it all figured out, but God slowly drew them closer and closer to him because of Jesus. And that's what we can experience because when he changes us, when we experience something new, Let's stand and pray as we get ready to sing. God, thank you so much for the lessons that we can learn from this family. Thank you for their successes, their strengths. Thank you for their weaknesses and their failures. God, thank you for how much of you is revealed through them. So many things that we can learn. And God, we all have stories like that. And I pray that as we walk out of here, we would take your offer your story of forgiveness and salvation with us. Thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for the words of these pages and the things that we can do with them because of you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.